This is Jeff Davis, author of Create Togetherness, Transform Sales and Marketing to Exceed Modern Buyers' Expectations and Increase Revenue. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing fields of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you some time. This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency where we work with manufacturers and industrial companies to arm their sales teams to take back control of their company's growth. We're not a fit for every company, but if that sounds like you, check out salesartillery.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Jeff Davis to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Create Togetherness, Transform Sales and Marketing to Exceed Modern Buyers' Expectations and Increase Revenue. Jeff Davis is an international speaker and founder of JD2 Consulting Group, which specializes in helping B2B companies strategically align their sales and marketing teams to accelerate revenue growth. And his background is in sales, marketing, and business development from Fortune 100 organizations to early stage startups and industries, including healthcare, biotech, manufacturing, industrial products, technology, and aerospace. He's also the host of the Alignment Podcast and is the creator of the annual Sales and Marketing Alignment Summit. Jeff earned a BS in mechanical engineering from Purdue University, go Boilermakers, and an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. And interesting fact, he once worked at NASA. Jeff, congratulations on Create Togetherness and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thank you for having me on the show. Super excited to talk to your audience. So, Purdue, you know, a lot of famous yes. people like yourself went there, including, well, I think you know where I'm going, the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Well, true, Drew Brees. And he actually was playing. So, I was actually at school when he was playing. So, oh, wow. you can imagine, I actually, my dorm was Kerry Quad. So, anybody that's been to Purdue or knows anything about Purdue. So, Kerry Quad literally sits opposite of the football stadium. So that was a very interesting and magical time to be at Purdue. Wow, that's terrific. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and he's still going strong. He is. I believe he's over he 40 now. Yeah, sounds about right. So I actually thought you were going to go the way of Neil Armstrong. Well, yes, it, yes. Neil Armstrong, <laughs> the, the first man on the moon, you know, another engineer yeah. from Purdue. Yeah, but he, he's no Drew Brees. No, I'm kidding. No, I, I, I looked it up. It's so interesting. And you know what? No kidding. There are engineers... Uh, who graduated from Purdue, who listened to this podcast. Believe it or not. Yes. I I actually have a lot of engineering buddies from school that are in marketing and sales, ironically. So we we do more than just, you know, nerdy stuff. Well, but you know what? I think that's very interesting. And I have 
interviewed a number of authors of marketing or sales books who have engineering backgrounds. And I like to joke that it's further evidence that marketing has gone from madmen to mathmen. That would be very true. I've not heard that, but that would be very true. Yes, and I didn't come up with that. I'm sure I stole it from one of the many books that I read uh, preparing for this. But I think somebody with a mechanical engineering background it, it does very well in, in marketing now. And there was even a section of your book where I, I marked it on here, but I wrote, I put a circle around it and wrote, written by a mechanical engineer, obviously, because you were talking about a process, the process and evaluating different steps in the process. And I thought, well, of course, of course, that's yeah, already that's... baked into your your whole uh, mental DNA. And I also noticed the book was endorsed by some past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast that I've had the honor of interviewing, like Tracy Eiler, who's the co-author of Align to Achieve, which is one Love of my her. favorite, favorite books, and Trish Bertuzzi, who wrote the Sales Development Playbook, and Shep Hyken, who uh, I interviewed about the Convenience Revolution. So uh, you got some real uh, good folks endorsing your book. And just so you know, Jeff, I'm already trying to help out here. I got a call last week from a company in the Detroit area, and they were putting together an event for their sales and their marketing because they were keen on marketing and sales alignment. And they asked me if I could come speak at it. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And and then I said, you know, and there's other folks too, you know, even if I'm, maybe I'm not who you need or whatever. And I said, do you know about Jeff Davis? And she said, yes, I just found him on Google. I said, well, you better talk to him too. So, oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, and hey, maybe they'll hire us both and then we can get to meet in person. So, uh, there you go. I, but I, uh, think that'd be, I think that'd be a great like tag team event. Yeah. So, I'm already uh, uh, singing your praises. I had read the book by then, but um, I appreciate that. Let me uh, just read a couple parts of the book here uh, quotes. And also, I, sh- I should mention that. Uh, Tracy Eiler and Andrea Austin's book, Aligned to Achieve, I love that book so much because it's one of my favorite topics. Anything about the intersection of sales and marketing is of great interest to me. And I give talks from time to time, and I'm always quoting from their book, and you're going to be going on some trips with me now because <laughs> I am going to be showing your book and quoting from it. And I can even, like if I'm, let's say I'm speaking to some manufacturers, I'm going to even be able to point to your book and picture and say, and he's got an engineering degree, okay? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) so so I get it. But I I will say before you read that quote, I want to send a special shout out to uh, Tracy and Andrea, who are the authors of Align to Achieve. So when I was in the early phases of writing the book and thinking about it, I actually reached out to them um, because their book is, is one of the inspirations of why I wrote my book. Uh, and so they were really instrumental in kind of just being supportive of me getting interviews with folks and and that sort of thing. And and so I would want to send a, a personal thank you to both of them uh, for being so kind and open to to share their their wisdom and thought and, and what they've developed through their book. Well, they're they're good people. Yes, yeah. So I wanted to to take the time to to say thank you. Yeah, yeah. So at the beginning of the book, there's a page with just this written on it that I wanted to read. Sales and marketing leaders will continue to see the increasing importance of building a revenue engine that aligns both teams' efforts as the only way to connect with the modern buyer. The way buyers interact with B2B companies is in the midst of a seismic shift. Those leaders who commit to an alignment transformation will be winners in the new B2B economy. Those who don't will be at a stark disadvantage. 
when I read that, I thought, man, I am reading the right book. <laughs> this, <laughs> amen, amen. <laughs> and then in the preface, you, you write, why did I write a book on the need for aligning sales and marketing? I had worked in both areas and became frustrated with the two departments not understanding their value to one another. I reached a point in my career where I felt compelled to speak out and help companies resolve the disconnect before it destroyed their ability to compete in the new B2B marketplace. I had to use all means possible to help resolve this breakdown, whether it was through a book, as a speaker, on a podcast, or getting into the trenches as a consultant to help transform companies. My engineering background wouldn't allow me to stop obsessing that there had to be a better way for marketing and sales to work together, especially since I've been on both sides. I repeatedly saw missed opportunities because sales and marketing weren't working as a team within a cohesive revenue-generating system. And so my journey led me to explore how to align these two functions. When I couldn't easily see the answers, I was motivated to better understand why the system was broken and what could be done to create sustainable change. And boy, if that doesn't set the stage for a hero's journey, you know, along the lines of Joseph Campbell or, you know, like the Star Wars saga, I don't know what does. But you you go on to say that one experience in particular changed the way you saw the relationship between sales and marketing. It was an aha moment that told you that a, a major transformation had to happen and was going to happen. Tell us about that aha moment. It's the story that I actually share when I open most of my keynotes. And it really truly was the spark for me to go down this path of speaking and the podcast and consulting now. You know, I was in a place, I was in healthcare sales. And we had, if anybody knows anything about healthcare, we had a lot of strong regulations come down uh, that really changed the game. So I had been extremely successful up until that point, uh, had multi-million dollar territory and was really just, you know, as many sales folks will say, crushing it. And those regulations overnight, seemingly, took away the majority of the strategies I had used to be successful. And what I was fearful of happening, in fact, did. I started to lose market share. I started to miss quota, which I had not done in quite some time. I, you know, was lucky enough and 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 had great relationships that put me up in the top five percent of the U.S. sales force for quite some time. And I was really, really frustrated. And so I did what what any salesperson would do. I just hit the ground and I, you know, did more emails. I did more calls. I I literally became anybody in healthcare sales will know this. I became the stalker in the parking lot that was waiting for my clients to come out at night and come in the morning because I really was desperate. And what I found through that, you know, after a couple quarters, I didn't make any inroads, but I was exhausted. And I said, you know, I've been successful. You know, what, there's obviously things have changed, but like, am I fundamentally a failure overnight? I said, there's got to be a different way to do this. And so, serpent, uh, serpentipitously, I don't know if that's a word. We're gonna we're gonna use that one. Um, I think it's a different word. Serendipity. Anyway, I think you're talking about. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we had a, a guest speaker, director of marketing at the time, come to our district sales meeting. And so typically in the district sales meeting, we just talked about like the state of the union, what we were doing, blah, 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 blah. Like a pipeline review or? Yeah, more so like 
this is what you're doing right. This is what you're doing wrong and fix it. And, and then tell me how you're going to fix it. It was more kind of those meetings. Oh, um, you know what that brings to mind, Jeff? Just to, <laughs> it, it, tell me if I'm setting the stage right here. There was a, a, another book on the podcast where they talked about how sales managers don't become sales managers because they can sell. They become sales managers because they can yell. I could see that. <laughs> okay. um, I, I'm, I'm not going to agree or deny. <laughs> right. uh, I've met some people that definitely fit that. Uh-huh. So I would say in that meeting, stereotypically, from my perspective, and, and other people may think differently, I was just hoping my name wasn't at the bottom of the list, right? <laughs> right. Like you never want to be in front of your manager and you know the numbers come up on the board, you're at the bottom. The middle uh-huh. is okay, the top is preferred, but the bottom was absolutely not because you knew you were going to go on a field ride the next day and have to explain basically why you suck. Yeah, it was like um, getting voted off the island. Basically, right? So, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and toes and be like, I don't know what the numbers say, but I hope I'm not at the bottom. So that's kind of the mindset I went into this meeting. And I was, you know, and it was very poignant for me because I, my market share had been slipping. I had been missing quota. So I was definitely not in a good place. So the marketing director coming in, and I thought it was going to be like corporate coming in and telling us what we were, again, doing wrong, or this is what the new stuff was, and this is blah, 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 blah. And it was a completely different interaction than what I had anticipated and really was a game changer for me. And, and honestly, was that aha light bulb moment. And he sat down and he said two things that we had never heard from marketing. A, we recognize and empathize with you that the market has changed and majority of it is out of your control. I said, wow, somebody's actually said that like things are out of our control. Yeah. And, um, and some people in your chain of command probably didn't want to hear that from you. No, because we were always kind of coached on don't focus on uh, um, what's happening in the marketplace. You got to just make your number. Yeah. And I'm like, I get that. And I'm not making excuses, but we also have to recognize there are things that are happening that literally I cannot affect. So let's talk about some creative strategies that I can get around that, but don't pretend like it's not happening. Mm -hmm. So as a salesperson, I used to, that used to always frustrate me. That's maybe that's just a personal Jeff Davis thing. And and I get where sales leaders are saying, don't use those excuses, but there are some things if like, you know, for, for us, there were certain accounts I just physically were not, was not allowed to walk into. Mm -hmm. So it's not about me making excuses. I'm saying, what else can we do? I got to partner with somebody or figure out another way to do that. So that's what I was saying. Uh, So that's why that point was so poignant for me. The second one was we want to partner with you to make selling more effective and more efficient. And so we've created this tool to do that. And and then, you know, I go into it into the book. Um, But those are the two things that I said, wait a second. You want to partner with me and you get that like we need help. You actually want to make selling easier. And up until that point, I never looked at the sales and marketing relationship as marketing making my job easier or helping me be more strategic about, you know, how I was approaching the market. It was really, these are the, these are the materials. This is what you can say. This is what you're supposed to say. Go do it. If it doesn't work, then it's your fault, not ours. Right. And, you know, not to keep talking about Tracy and Andrea's book, Aligned to Achieve, but <laughs> it brought, that story brought to mind a phrase that they had throughout their book, which was, sales can't do it alone. And marketing exists to make sales easier. I agree 200%. And when I say that, for all you salespeople listening, it doesn't mean when it says sales, marketing exists to make sales easier, it doesn't mean marketing is getting coffee for sales. They're making it easier for the buyer to buy. Correct. And and I think what you alluded to, because Tracy talked about it when she was on my podcast, is that you want to be very clear as a marketing leader you, that sales is your customer 
but they are you are not to report to them for what they want right it is it is a mutually beneficial conversation and relationship in which you are there in able to, in order to enable them to sell more effectively and so i think what tracy tracy was trying to get to in the book is that you know we're not just taking orders for a sales piece you need or to your point getting you coffee no we're we're partnering to to make things more efficient and effective for you to get in front of customers yeah so what happens when marketing does report into sales, what are some of the problems you see when it's that sort of relationship? And and it depends on the organization. I stereotypically, what I see is that if you have a sales leader that doesn't really truly understand the value that marketing can bring, the strategic value, they then turn marketing into basically sales support. Right. Website updates, sales collateral, planning meetings, planning the trade shows, and they don't allow sales to really operate at its strategic value. Mm-hmm. And so you miss that whole component of the fact that, you know, sale or marketing can really get out in front of things and really tie things to d- together to create opportunities for sales. That's what I stereotypically have seen if you have a sales leader, especially if they don't really understand the strategic value marketing can offer. Okay. So then what do you say to those marketing people that come to you after you give a keynote, for instance, and say, look, I, they, they look at me as the trade show guy or gal. You know, they, they, they want us to put together the presentations for them. What can a marketing person, and often these marketing people live a somewhat solitary life. They might be the only marketing person or they might be the first marketing person a company's ever had. What can they do to start to help to change the perception of marketing or to educate their organization on all that's possible now? Yeah, and it's and it's a tough haul because I've had this conversation with many a marketer uh, within like trucking logistics and, and manufacturing. Because a lot of times they're in a situation where they're not really allowed to op- to to operate at their 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 max capacities for strategic initiatives go. And at the end of the day, it comes down to you've really got to sell the value that marketing can provide to sales to close business. We can't come in and have conversations about brand and all those things that we know to be true, but we've got to get them to understand the hard numbers first. And so the easiest way to do that is to show the ROI of the work you're doing. So case in point, uh, I was in many, many years ago, was at a trade show. And this was, this was before I was a marketer, but I was, probably always had a kind of marketing brain. And so marketing put on this great show. It was a great booth. It was beautiful. Da, 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 da. We were collecting, uh, we were scanning badges. And I said, where does that information go? This is just me. This is just me being Jeff Davis. Uh-huh. I go, where does that information go? Oh, it goes in a database. And then we do marketing strategies to, you know, kind of, you know, educate them and thank them for coming to the show. I said, well, I just saw one of my physicians. Do I get information? Do people get information if their people are here at the show? The reps, the sales reps. They were like, uh, no. I go, See, that's an opera, that's a missed opportunity because here's the thing. If they're at the conference, that means they're interested in this particular, whatever this topic is. And if I am in a territory that I may not have had the chance to actually go to the conference, this is a great opportunity for me to, to circle back and say, hey, I realized Dr. Such and Such, you went to the Such and Such conference. What did you think? My colleagues said they talked to you about this, X, Y, Z. That's what I'm saying, the pull through, mm-hmm. right? And so that you can then partner with sales to say, you can have a direct line of this particular conference, this particular trade show led to X amount of dollars in revenue. Because where I see a lot of marketers stop is we did this show or we did this marketing campaign. It provided X amount of leads. Great. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, but they could have been crappy to, leads. Right. So what I what I push my marketing colleagues to say is, okay, and either it led to this amount of book pipeline, revenue, whatever it is, or if you don't even have that, we anticipate, you know, based on historical XYZ, that 25% of that will convert, which will amount to X amount of dollars in revenue. You got to finish the sentence and the (laughs) sentence ends in dollars. It ends in revenue, right? And so marketing really has to stop stopping at leads or stopping at lift. We've got to keep going beyond vanity metrics and get to revenue. Amen. Amen. And if you're a marketer, now here comes some tough love, okay? But I love the audience. I love my marketers. I love my marketers. Yeah. But it's sort of like, If you're a marketer and you're saying to yourself, well, I'm doing what they're asking me to do, that's unacceptable Yes, because they may not know what they're asking for. You got it. And it brings me back to another book that was on the podcast a couple years ago called The 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader by Barta and Barwise. And they talked about how you need to be doing the kinds of things that you're describing, Jeff. And you, if you're a marketer and you're not in the revenue camp, you're not going to have a long marketing career. And you talk about this in your book about some of the things you should be talking about. And you were starting to point to it, but I always joke and say, look, marketers, when you're around civilians, and by that I mean people who don't work in the marketing department, be careful when you start using the word brand or branding or storytelling. (laughs) That may not be real helpful. Uh, instead, you should be talking about some of the things you talk about in your book about, you know, a lifetime value and a pipeline and, you know, closing the loop there. So, Jeff, I think people listening here understand that the reason why sales and marketing need to be aligned now is because the way that the customers buy has changed. This seismic shift that you described. Why haven't most business-to-business companies cracked the code on fixing sales and marketing alignment. What what, <laughs> what what are you finding? And you'll probably for the rest of your career, you're still going to be explaining this. Well, you you probably opened Pandora's box because a lot that I could that I could put behind that question. But I, I will say this. Let's let the healing begin. <laughs> I, I think there's a couple of things that have happened. I think first of all, let's talk about the fact that, you know, and I say this all the time, whether I'm at a keynote or conference or podcast. The misalignment issue, the dysfunctional relationship between sales and marketing is not new. I'm not pretending like it's new. I didn't create it. It's been going on for decades. And we have continued to throw the wrong things at it and not really get to the root cause. We've thrown technology at it. The CRM was supposed to fix it. All of these other things. We've done process. We've done SLAs, all these things. But we haven't recognized that that is a a people issue. Sales and marketing, and you can go all the way back to like centers of excellence that we created back in the day, which which were valid and made sense now. They don't make sense anymore. We have grown up in silos. So for you to go to a sales or marketing leader and say, hey, I need you to work with marketing. I need you to work with sales. It's not necessarily that they don't want to, because that's really what I thought in the beginning. The more conversations I have is they don't know how to. And so case in point, I did I did a keynote at um, a trucking conference. And I had a leader, a sales leader come up to me. He said, hey, I love the fact that you talked about how I can work with marketing differently. It makes complete sense to me. He goes, I have been in sales all my life. I have no idea how to start a conversation with marketing. I don't know what they're supposed to do. 
I don't know what I should be asking. And, and you that, recommended they listen to the Marketing Book Podcast, right? Of course I did. And Thank the alignmentpodcast.com. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> I said, all the answers will be there for you. Thank you. Uh, and this is before the book go out, so I couldn't say create togetherness. Okay, okay. Um, well, yeah, now you have that. But now no, I, have I, I know, and I think there's a lot of, I you know, get to meet online a lot of these listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast. There's a lot of sales leaders who, or as I, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I think of them as thrusters, meaning not in a Neil Armstrong, Apollo 11 manner, but thrusters, meaning they've been suddenly thrust into this role and they have to understand what marketing's supposed to be doing. And I'm, and I'm raising my hand and saying, people, stop. You are expecting someone that has not had to, to leverage their counterpart in this way for decades to all of a sudden overnight know how to work with the other one. This doesn't it's happen not, overnight, Jeff Davis? Not, no, it doesn't. I wish I look. I wish it could. I, be, I wish I could give everybody my book and it would be fixed. Yeah, and that is but, another point you make in your book. It doesn't actually happen overnight. It can't. And so what I what I what I share with folks is that one of the one of my charges is also helping sell the value to, of marketing leaders to sales leaders and sales leaders to marketing leaders because we really don't know. You talk to most sales leaders, they'll tell you. I don't really know how to leverage marketing. I don't know what they're supposed to do. I just know that my leads are terrible and the quality is terrible. And, or, and we, as you said in the book, uh, I think you might have been quoting somebody who said, I don't really know what the marketing people do. I've heard it so many times. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do is empower both sides. Instead of sales saying, marketing's not doing their job. These leads are terrible. Because anytime you walk up to somebody and you say that, they automatically get defensive and don't want to help you. Sure. I think the conversation can be around. We feel like the the leads that we're getting aren't the highest quality. They're not helping us convert. You know, let's talk about some of the things that we might be able to change, like you know X Y Z, or you know, can we do more field events? Can we do more? Start asking for what you need versus saying you're just not giving me what I want. Mm-hmm. And I think and the, the the language and the vocabulary for most sales leaders. Uh, unless they're in an organization or in a culture that you know is is really about these two organizations being aligned, they just don't have the vocabulary, the language. They don't know what to ask for. Right. So you talk about it being a people problem, and that's you know you'd love. Uh, we all would love to take a pill and have sales and marketing suddenly aligned, or we'd love to buy a CRM or whatever or something and think, okay, now that tool is going to suddenly make a process, which it won't. It won't. Uh, it's suddenly going to make our people get along. What are some of the things that make a team successful? In other words, what is uh, what are you seeing in companies where there is starting to be alignment and or what does horrible misalignment look like? <laughs> horrible misalignment looks like misaligned incentives. And I was actually uh, speaking on another podcast and it was a, it was a sales podcast and I was explaining that for many organizations in B2B Marketing has no responsibility for revenue numbers. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Like our compensation has nothing to do with you making your number or not. It's based on like volume of these X, Y, Z. And he literally was like, what do you mean? I go, this is what I'm talking about. Many marketing organizations are operating as cost centers. They're just like, here's our budget. We have to spend it before the end of the year. Better spend and it all. We, we won't get more next year. We won't get. And so – that does not incentivize me to look at ROI. It doesn't incentivize me to make sure that sales meets their number. And so, and I put it in the book as well, we've got to change the narrative so that, you know, marketing teams go from being a cost center to a profit center and that they're incentivized to actually support sales and meeting a number. And so our variable income should be tied to making a revenue number. All of a sudden, when people have aligned incentives and aligned goals, 
they tend to find a way to work together because there's skin in the game on both sides of the fence. And it sounds really logical, but I guarantee you there are people that are listening to our conversation and saying that we never thought about it that way. Okay, so to say a little bit more about that, how can the incentives be such that marketing starts to find themselves in the revenue camp, <laughs> whether it's kicking yeah. or screaming or whether they're yeah. going there willingly. Well, talk about some of those metrics that matter. Yeah. So, so functionally, you need to have a portion of the sales bonus structure, I'm sorry, the marketing bonus structure attached to the team's ability to reach their overall revenue goal, right? Because what that sets up is if I know that my bonus structure is tied to sales making their number, I'm then looking for opportunities to empower them to close more business. Instead of just saying, here are your leads, leave us alone. We want to go do, you know, activities and events and whatever, because these are fun and, you know, it's the new thing to do. Also, when you have marketing meetings, and I've been in marketing meetings where at no point do we talk about overall revenue. I argue, and I put it in the book as well, every single sales and marketing meeting should always start with percent to revenue goal. Everybody across the organization should know we are shooting for, you know, end of 2020 is 22.1 million, whatever that number is. Everybody should know that, not just salespeople. And salespeople are not in their head because they're like, yeah, that's what we do every day. It's normal. Marketing people, you got to have the same language. We're doing this to get to that 22.1 million. Amen. Amen. So is that one of the things that where you see the biggest impact is just getting that incentive structure adjusted? It's one that changes behavior real quick. Uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it, it changes. And, and people don't want to always talk about it, but I go, you know, look, I, I absolutely believe that aligning goals and objectives across both organizations is the way to go. And you need to have joint revenue funnel meetings between sales and marketing. But when you start changing people's compensation structure and how they make money, all of a sudden they figure out ways to work with sales that empowers them to close business. Excellent. So, Explain or remind listeners how sales and marketing alignment is actually a competitive advantage. Yeah, so it's gotten to that point. So Aberdeen Group produced a study, I believe in 2016, that was really, really compelling. And in that, they, of course, talked about the the business metrics that are significantly impacted by aligned sales teams. And that was great. So they talked about, you know, year over year revenue growth, uh, sales accepted, uh, I'm sorry, marketing accepted uh, leads by sales, overall sales quota attainment, which are all great. What I found more stark and compelling is the difference between aligned sales and marketing organizations and those that were not. And so, it, and, it, and sometimes it was fourfold, they were outperforming their competitors that were less aligned or not aligned. And it really, truly has got to the point where aligning sales and marketing has become a strategic advantage because it doesn't happen overnight, right? So if, you've, if you're doing the work now to, to change that and transform your organization, it's not like your competitor can come say, oh, you know what? They're aligning sales and marketing. We should do that too. It's not how that works. And so beyond it just really driving all the key areas that you want to increase it is something that once you are able to solidify your organization, no one can compete with you in that in that way. And everything right now, when you look at how you really connect with a modern buyer is around customer experience, cohesive buyer journey, seamless experience, and that can't be done in a silo organization. You just right. can't. So compare and contrast, or <clears throat> what, what would that look like to the buyer? So in other words, a buyer 
sees sales and marketing not aligned, what does that look like? And then give an example of uh, how an aligned company is much more appealing to the buyer. So I had it actually had it happen to me recently, a couple different examples. So I downloaded a white paper. I was doing some research, wanted to, 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 to look at some things. And literally like five minutes later, I got a call from a sales guy. Hey, uh, looks like you downloaded something from our website. Uh, what are you looking for? I was mm-hmm. like, what, what do you mean? He's like, oh, I just want to see what, what problems you have. So in my mind, I'm thinking as the, as the buyer, right? I'm like, well, you clearly know what I downloaded, <laughs> know the subject matter of it. Why, why would you ask me what am I looking to, to do? It's weird. Like, so when you look at CX and it took me a second, cause I was like, um, I almost kind of forgot. Cause I was like, you're, you're catching me off. It was a weird, it's a weird interaction. So it'd be different if like I had downloaded it and you, you were able to kind of tell where I was looking and for the sales rep to say, Hey, we noticed that you download X, Y, Z paper companies are, you know, prospects that stereotypically download the white paper are concerned about one of two issues. The issue A, issue B, uh, are, are any of those what you are, you know, challenged with in your business? That's a mm-hmm. very different conversation. Yes. And all that is is marketing getting the information over to me to say prospect looked at, you know, white paper. They might have went to the website, most likely looking for this type of information. Boom. Sales rep is empowered, knows something about them, can do a little research about my company and come in. And instead of asking me what's keeping me up at night, tell me something teach me something, add value when you reach out to me. And that's best done when marketing is able to feed really compelling quality information and insights to sales. That's what a truly aligned sales and marketing organization looks like and feels like to a buyer. Right. It, it makes me laugh because a couple of years ago, I remember downloading something. It was behind a landing page, had to fill out the form. And as the PDF was downloading, it was a big file. I could see that. I saw the caller ID from that company. Man, okay, they got something very efficient there. Actually, you know what? They're no longer in business. I I do remember that. But it was some interesting thing I was downloading. I just want to underscore what you've said, where you write, sales representatives can no longer rely on probing questions or discussing product features and benefits. They must do more. They must have access to insights specifically relevant to the target buyer to give them information they didn't know before so as to educate the buyer on business issues that challenge them. And then you say leaders can begin to see how they can uniquely position the company as a customer-focused organization that has a primary goal of creating value for its customers. Just in what you said right there was a great example of creating value for the customer rather than trying to interrogate them because there's this discovery fatigue. No, I don't want to sit through a 45-minute discovery call (laughs) No, and and recite what I think are are my problems, and and, if, and and what a lot of sorry to interrupt you, but what a lot of sales B two B sales reps and sales leaders don't realize is that in this age of digital disruption and information inequality, the the buyer seller relationship has changed, and we are are showing up a lot of times like used car salespeople. Mm-hmm. We don't realize it, and that's not our intent. But when you come to somebody and say, "Tell me what's keeping you up at night. Why did you reach out to us?" You sound like a used car salesman. Mm-hmm. They're like, I looked at all this information on the website. I don't want to hear about features and benefits. Tell me how you can actually help me solve my problems or help me understand what my problem truly is. That's when you start to provide value from day one. Help me understand what my problem truly is. It's like, help me understand if I'm standing on an anthill and I didn't know that. <laughs> well, and what we, and what we, 
don't realize as B2B sales sellers and marketers is that, yes, the buyer has a ton of information, but that does not mean they're informed. Those are two different things. Amen. And most buyers- In fact, they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed and confused. And so you know who's winning. And so there's the, the stat that that shows that 87% of B2B buyers, I'm sorry, 87% of buyers will pay more for a better customer experience. And what we're finding is that CX has become more important than price or product. People are buying subpar products because it's easier to buy. So if you can position yourself as someone that's going to partner and co-create a solution with a buyer and say, look, look, we know there's a lot of information. Let me tell you what you should be focused on. Based on what you share with me, it looks like you know companies in your position, XYZ, start to help me diagnose what's going on and how I should be thinking about finding a solution that works for me. That is where you add value. Not talking about future benefits. They've already found it on the website. They don't care. They're overwhelmed. Mm. Yes. I I gave a talk once at a, a manufacturing event for marketing to engineers, as a matter of fact. <laughs> no, my people. Yes. My tribe. And uh, good folks. And they uh, the, the, the title of my talk was Stop Talking About Your Product First. And I thought I was going to get thrown off the stage. Um, but they were very interested and there was a room full of engineers too. And they were, they understood this and, but they were, you know, they're trying to figure out, well, you know, there's a lot of reasons and good reasons why people want to talk about their products, but, um, you know, empathy's hard. What I want to ask though, is you probably hear from a lot of companies and they say, yeah, Jeff Davis, I, I want some of that sales and marketing alignment stuff, but they're still not going to be successful. <laughs> talk about what our some of the must-haves, the non-negotiables that an organization has to have in order to have sales and marketing alignment. And I'm going to I'm going to tell you tell the audience one already right off the bat. If they point to somebody like the marketing person and say, "You, you're in charge of sales and marketing alignment." Why is that not a good sign? In other words, the first one we could probably talk about is what happens if the CEO's not on board with this? Yeah. So you you kind of, that was a perfect dovetail on what I was going to say. So the CEO has to be in support a hundred percent of this transformation of this initiative. And I would, and I say beyond support, they have to be a sponsor, right? Yes. So I want to be really clear about this, right? Just saying that our CEO thinks this is a good idea is not enough. You need him to be the champion, the face, the voice of to, uh, to say to the organization, we are going to move in a different direction. Sales and marketing are going to be more aligned than ever. We're going to build a revenue engine, whatever that language is. And here is the reason why, especially if you're in a large organization and no offense to my middle managers, you're going to have people in the middle that have been successful for a very long time, may not be really interested in transforming and may even say, look, I'm not going to be here in five years. I don't care. And or they might have come up in the days when uh, it was all about a numbers of, of cold calling. You got it. It worked and for so me. Those <laughs> Exactly. And you're going to run into those people. In, unless you have the support of the CEO, you will have a short-lived uh, transformation, if it's successful at all. You've got to have the CEO on board. That's number one. Uh, and I've had people, I've had conversations. And one of the first questions I ask them, is your CEO on board of working together to transform this relationship? If the answer is no, you have some work to do. Because I know it's not, I know at the end of the day, you're going to do a ton of work. People are going to be really super excited and it will last for maybe a quarter or two. And then it's going to go back right to what it was before because you need that voiceover from the CEO. So yes, absolutely. and in defense of Jeff Davis, 
they're going to say, well, we tried that sales and marketing alignment thing. We worked with Jeff Davis and it didn't work. So (laughs) we already know the movie doesn't end well. (laughs) And that's why I don't even get on the train. I say, (laughs) if the CEO's not sponsoring, I'm not on the train. Yeah. Because you exactly what you said doesn't work. Well, Jeff Davis, that sales marketing alignment thing doesn't work. I'm like, no, it works. Mm-hmm. You just need to have the right key leaders, leaders on board in order to have support. So I would definitely say that is number one. And then also there, you have to be – the sales and marketing leader have to – and I don't want to say I don't want them to get along. I mean I think it's important. But they have to understand the value that the other one brings in helping them be successful. Mm-hmm. A lot of – leaders to say, well, we have a great relationship. That's a personal relationship. I need you to have a really great business relationship where you understand how to leverage your counterpart in a way that's making you more successful. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't start there, then we're all just doing strategies and tactics and we have no reason of understanding why we're working together. Yeah. You know, it's so important to have, as you say, a culture of transparency. What what are some of the hurdles to, to making that happen besides the fact that Maybe it hasn't existed in the past, and we're all you know fearful of of change. But you know, it, it seems like if I'm a marketing person, suddenly I'm being held responsible for revenue. I want to know that that lead I generated was followed up on within a certain amount of time, and I want to know what happened to it. And if I don't have that visibility into the pipeline, uh, that's going to be that's going to be a problem. What what are yeah. some of the hurdles to getting? Uh, the culture of transparency. I guess one of them is if they're not using a CRM, does it is it a non-starter at that point? I mean, it depends on the size of the organization, but I would say that's a clear indicator that like you're not really serious about working together in a meaningful way. What I would say is it, it really data. If you're not willing to be a data-focused organization, because here's the thing that's great about when you're really data-focused, it takes the emotion out of decisions that we make. You can sit around the table and have conversations about data, and it's not saying, you know, Douglas... Jeff, you're not doing your jobs, is saying the data is showing us that this is not working. Let's talk about what we can do. Mm-hmm. If we are operating an organization or a culture where it's all about like, you know, uh, let's just guess or you, you make up things, then it becomes personal relationships, personal attacks about what's not working. But data is the, the, the defining piece of truth. Mm-hmm. And so in order for you to really take this alignment effort seriously, you got to focus on data. And you got to have good, you got to have good, accurate data where you can really see what's going on across both silos and really have a complete view of what's going on in the system. Yes, and that brings us to the three pillars of alignment transformation. There's there's Absolutely. three of them. There's not seventy nine of them, <laughs> and one of them is data. Yes. And then let me uh, spoiler alert: the second one is process, and the third is communication. Let's talk a little bit more about those. As it relates to data, yeah, you have to have the data. You have to have that visibility. But as it relates to the section on data, talk about ICPs, the ideal customer profiles. Why are those so important? And what should people know about building an ideal customer profile? They're important for, for many reasons, uh, especially, especially if you are in operating in, a, in an organization where you have a lot of products and a lot of verticals. So things get really complex. What you find more often than not is that people are creating collateral or having conversations and not truly understanding what our ideal customer looks like. We're just doing one-offs. We're doing ad hocs. And or if we have an ICP, 
sales and marketing have a different idea of who the ideal customer is, and that's very troublesome. Not good. Not it's good. Not good because yeah. what you find is marketing is putting dollars against somebody that is not our ICP, and sales is trying to get in front of the ICP, and so there's a disconnect. So we need to have an ICP that is globally and universally accepted, that we all know that this is this is who we're going for. And obviously you'll have other segments and that sort of thing, but you need to have that across sales and marketing. And so you can't create an ICP in a marketing silo and say that we're going to do these marketing tactics and never have sales come to the table to say, do I agree or not? Mm-hmm. Not agree. Right. Mm-hmm. I also see an opportunity that that is missed is that especially if you are, you know, in a, a legacy business where the ideal customer profile never changes. And and what I mean by that is or has never been validated. I don't want you to just guess and see who this is who we've already sold, always sold to. What I want you to do is dig into the customer data and to see which customer type or which segment is actually providing us with the most ROI. Because you may be surprised that while we are getting a lot of volume from this vertical, we are actually losing money on these deals. Whereas another vertical, if we actually took a lot of those resources and poured into it, we'd be actually able to make a lot of money. Yes, and you see how that has something to do with revenue. <laughs> All has to do with revenue. Yeah, yeah, it keeps going. It keeps going back to that. And Jeff, one of the many quotes from your book that is, as we speak, I don't know if you can hear it. It's already being chiseled into stone. <laughs> Page thirty-seven. This, I mean, seriously, this is going up on a slide. The only way leaders can discover a new and more effective approach to marketing and selling is to intimately understand the modern buyer. Yep. No truer words. And it just seems like there is, from my perspective, the agreement on who the ideal customer is, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, I, I see it a lot. And, yeah. and it'll be in a conversation. I'll hear, um, maybe I'll hear a salesperson say to the marketing people, oh, I thought we were going after fill in the blank. Yeah. That's a big red flag. When And to add to that, you can't have 17 ICPs. So, and an ICP is also not who we like selling to. For me, an ICP is based on revenue data. Which customer segment or which type of customer is the easiest to sell to and provides us with the most revenue? Mm-hmm. That should be your ICP. Not who we can get into the door, who's easy to talk to, who are our friends. I mean, those are customer segments we can leverage. That's great. But an ICP truly is who provides the organization the most ROI. Yes, yes. You know, it's sort of like, again, let's start with the numbers, not to sound like an engineer. I'm not an engineer, Jeff, (laughs) but I've watched movies where actors pretend to be engineers. So I think I know a little bit about, you know, being an engineer. Yeah. Go for it. But it's like, start with the numbers and they're saying, well, this represents our greatest revenue. Well, now, wait a minute. (laughs) Let's talk about, let's not talk about revenue just yet. What about profitability? Exactly. Uh, find out that, and usually when I'm talking to companies I'll, or marketers, certainly I'll say, "Well, let's talk about that. Who, who are some of your most profitable customers?" And they don't, they don't have that information. So I'm always encouraging them to go and and try and get that, try to get into the revenue camp. And I think it's going to surprise their CFO when they come in and ask that question. Wow, yeah. I've never had a marketer ask me that kind of question before. So. The ideal customer profile, really important. Um, one other thing about data, though, you talk about building a data stack. And this is, as you know, there's, oh gosh, maybe there's 10,000 <laughs> different logos out there of marketing <laughs> and sales software and all this kinds of stuff. And, you know, you, you talk about building a tech stack. But 
or, or people talk about building a tech stack, you talk about developing a data stack. Mm-hmm. Now, you're often asked by companies what sales or marketing tech stack should be used to ensure they have a high-performing revenue tech stack. Why do you argue that that's a misguided question? Well, it's misguided because I think what we don't always, I think we look at technology in a little bit of a weird way. We are so focused on how the technology can help us do these cool things. But what I argue is that the the most important value that technology brings us is the data that comes out the end of it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what really teaches us about our interactions with customers and that sort of thing. And so I'm not so much concerned about the coolest sales tech or marketing tech, because if they don't integrate and they don't help us achieve building this customer experience and orchestrating our efforts, then it's not really going to be the best way for us to move forward from a technology standpoint. And so the the reason that I talked about that in the book is that I want us to really start looking at it as a revenue tech stack, not just sales stack or marketing stack, because I've had instances where you go in and if you get somebody to do an audit, and, and many companies probably would would benefit from doing a tech audit. You find there are systems that we're not using. Mm. You find there are systems that are redundant. <laughs> You're going to find systems that they didn't know they had. In other words, oh, people are just oh, buying yeah. it with their credit card. Oh, yeah. And where you really find that to be the most impactful is on salespeople. Because you got things in their workflow that just bogs them down. They got to go to this system and that system. And they got to log this here. And, the, and you know, we've gotten down to the point, I think the latest data was uh, inside sales. They said 36.6% of a salesperson's time is actually spent on revenue generating activities. Mm. A lot of that is because they have too much other superfluous stuff, tech stuff to do that is not allowing them to have meaningful conversations with prospects. Yeah. I just love the use of the term revenue tech stack because it sets the stage. <laughs> I don't you know, Let's not talk about sales tech stack or marketing tech stack. Let's talk about revenue. So I love uh, how you position that. And as many things from your book, I'm stealing them with full attribution, of course. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let's move on to the process. Just just one quick question about process. You write that the revenue generation process must be flexible and enable sellers to address four key factors for buyers by helping them solidify their true business issues, identifying potential solutions to address the problems, guiding them to select best criteria to fit their unique business, and empowering stakeholders to reach a final consensus to purchase. Where are most companies getting this wrong? Well, when it comes to process, most sales and marketing leaders are making decisions with one hand over their eye, right? As a sales leader, if I don't have visibility to the complete revenue generation funnel, so all the way from lead to revenue, I can truly only see what happens once I get leads to close. And that literally is only half of the equation. Mm-hmm. Marketing, the same thing. I only see first touch of a piece of collateral to lead. I'm making decisions based on half of the, of the equation. So what I say is that until you're able to come together and develop a process that goes from lead to revenue, you are not able to see what's broken in the system and you're not able to optimize the process so that you can really impact revenue. Is it a sales training issue that like your sellers can't close? Is it the handoff between marketing to sales? Are people falling out um, based on the interaction they have in a webinar? We don't know. 
because you guys aren't communicating and you don't have full visibility. So that's what I, I really push sales leaders and marketing leaders to say, you're making decisions in a silo that have repercussions and effects on your partner. Yes. And as I mentioned earlier, on page 67, I wrote, spoken like a mechanical engineer, and this is what <laughs> I'm talking about. It's important to build a unified lead to revenue process to identify existing challenges in the buyer's journey. Without constructing an end-to-end revenue generation process, leaders will not be able to pinpoint existing leaks in the revenue funnel. Without a complete picture of buyer's interactions with sales and marketing, the company can't move forward to improve the buying process. You know, the one thing I do want to ask about was as it relates to communication. Obviously, you have to set up this communication uh, process between sales and marketing. And I really, I would think for the whole um, organization, talk about this one innovative arrangement that you mentioned about having sales and marketing team members complete short-term internships in each other's departments. Yeah, I think it's a great, I think it's a great tactic. So one of the, one of the, so there's a couple things I want to address uh, to answer that. One of the biggest missed opportunities I see within sales and marketing teams that are not operating efficiently is that there is not a really established feedback loop from sales to marketing. It's a huge missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't just mean talking to sales leadership. I mean, you need to hear from frontline sellers that are on the phones, that are in customers' faces, because let's just be real, by the time that that data and that information is rolled up to your leadership, it usually is scrubbed and or things are lost in translation. So uh, I argue for marketing leaders, you need to actually, and, and marketing marketing talent as well, those within the marketing department, get on the phone with a seller, go out into the field and meet a customer, actually hear what the customer is saying because it provides you information in two ways. A, is my strategy achieving the goals that I want it to? Is, is the strategy working? And B, is the strategy being delivered in the way that we intend it? Because if it's not, you may need to think about how you've communicated the strategy to sales and then help them understand what you, you know, what they need to be doing. And so the idea of having this kind of cross-functional opportunities to work in each other's apartment, if it goes back to us not understanding each other, we have a lack of empathy between sales and marketing, the leaders, each other on the team. When you are as a marketer, you know, coming up and you've never interacted with a seller, you've never been in sales, you don't have a sensibility of this is great. This is aligned with strategy. How is the salesperson going to actually pull this through? I was in many meetings where I was, you know, the only marketer that came from sales. And I would say, like, I agree with this 85%. I go, here's the reality of things. If I was in the field, I wouldn't do that. I don't have time. Like, we've got to think through how do we make this as easy as possible for sellers to be able to actually execute on. And so that's why I advocate for having these kind of many kind of succumbents or many internships where you know sellers get to learn about marketing and, and what that looks like. And marketers get to go out in the field and, and actually sell. And, and what's great is not only does it increase the empathy that they have, the learnings they bring back with them to the team are invaluable. Yes. When those people are in meetings and they can say, hey guys, I actually you know went to sales for six months and here's one of the things that like we need to be thoughtful of. And then vice versa. Hey, guys, when you're on the phone, don't forget we have that marketing piece that you can follow up on to make sure that we're you know, top of mind or whatever that looks like. Those are invaluable conversations and learnings that both, will ben- both teams will benefit from. Amen. And to the marketers out there, I wouldn't wait for your head of sales to say, 
Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Marketing, we'd like you to come on some sales calls with us and, and get to learn more about <laughs> what's happening here. <laughs> it, don't, don't wait for that invitation. I would urge marketers to say, I'd like to go on some sales calls with you guys. First, I think it would just blow away a lot of salespeople. Yes. And you are guaranteed to learn about that. And there are marketers out there who have never been on a sales call. So quick, quick, go, <laughs> get, out of that, get out of that group, but also do it on a regular basis. Set, yeah. set a schedule so that you can continuously spend time in the field uh, with the salespeople. It's really going to help your career. It's going to help your business. It's going to help the salespeople too. I will tell you one of the things that made my transition from um, field sales to marketing successful is that I involved sales very early into anything that impacted them. Mm. And so from a marketing standpoint, this is what that does to you. Not only do you, and whether or not you're able to give them everything they want, the first thing I ask them, I say, this is what we're thinking. This is the program we're about to launch. Tell me the laundry list of everything you want it to do, right? And, you know, and I'm in healthcare, we're high, highly regulated. So we know that some of that stuff's going to get scrubbed, scrubbed by legal. That's just the, the, the way it is. But I want to hear everything. And then I also want to have a core pilot group of sales reps, uh, not only the ones that are rock stars, some folks in the middle too, to be able to go on this journey with me as I create this program and build this program, because I want to be able to have touch points with, with them throughout the process of building it to a show them that I listened to them and that I, I heard what they said and that we've baked some of those things in it, but be also to get real impact or I'm sorry, real insights into, you know, this is what we're thinking. This is where we're going. This is what we're able to do. Does that add value? Do you think customers would really, you know, use this? And then at the end of the day, what you have built is you've built ambassadors for your program, for your campaign that are going to go out to their colleagues and say, hey, this is a good this is good stuff. Marketing has had us involved since day one. You should use this because what I know is this when salespeople see other salespeople using stuff that works, it spreads like wildfire. Yes. <laughs> right. So you want I want to, some of that, right? I want some of that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I would launch programs and I, you know, I had to do little selling because my sales folks sold it for me. Yeah, but also your plan's going to be that much better if you get that insight from the salespeople early on, not yep. to mention the fact that they will have bought in and they're excited about it. And they'll also tell you how to sell it to their colleagues. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's it's an it's a win-win situation here. You you will not lose by doing that. So, Jeff, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would say realize that digital disruption has completely changed the buyer-seller relationship, and we have to stop selling like used car salespeople. Amen. Amen. Do you still run into a lot of folks? I don't know. Maybe there's some of the ones we were talking about. Maybe there were older ones. They're sitting there with their arms crossed thinking, ah, no. Customer hasn't changed. <laughs> Well, or do you see there's more of a, a, an acknowledgement about that? I'll, let me give you an example. Sometimes okay. when I've, I've given a talk or I'm talking to anybody and I'll be describing how people buy now mm -hmm. and they'll be nodding their heads saying, yep, that's how I buy. I'm not influenced by advertising. I get all my information first. And then you say, and you know, your own customers are doing that. <laughs> and they, they hadn't considered that. So I'm just wondering, you know, what what kind of pushback are you getting or is is it or does everyone seem to acknowledge that the way that people are buying 
has changed? Well, we have this weird phenomenon that I still don't quite understand. And I talk, I talk about a similar, similar subject matter. I say, you expect somebody to be at home. You do this yourself. You have Netflix now. You have Zappos. You have Amazon. You know, something breaks. You, you, know, you might go on Amazon. You might call a friend to say what's the best one. And then, boom, you buy it. You expect those people to then come to a work setting, try to buy something from you, and go through all of these unnecessary hoops. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I said, you're dealing with human beings. And so we have this weird idea that all of a sudden we get to work and that we don't make buying decisions in the same way that we do in our personal lives and or that we're not affected by the emotional part of, of buying. Because I, for a long, long time, B2B was all about like, this is logical and people will make decisions. That's not true either. Yes. People make decisions based on emotion and then they justify it with logic. Yes. And Folks, you just heard an engineer say that, okay? It doesn't fact, make me feel happy. It, does, it hurts sometimes. It really does. Right. It, it really makes me, there's something stirs in my soul. But as a marketer, I realize like emotion is always first. It may yes. be a little shorter in a B2B context, but it's always first. Well, I would argue that B2B is a more emotional purchase than a B2C. And here's why. You buy a bad roofing job for your house or you buy the wrong car or something like that. That's, that's on you. It doesn't really affect your reputation or future earnings. You make the wrong business-to-business purchase, you may be, for the rest of your career, remembered as the guy that bought that Edsel of a solution. Mm. Uh, That's an old Ford reference. (laughs) And they, in fact, there was another book on the show a while back uh, called uh, Roadmap to Revenue. Any book that has the word revenue in it, I, I, I pretty much uh, it's on the show. <laughs> really like, yeah. So my, ne- my next book will be to have the word revenue in it, just right. So I can come back on the no, show. No, you're, 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 it, it, you're, the revenue is in your subtitle. But Kristen Javago, she talks about how in the B two B world, everybody has this imaginary little white board that's on a string around uh, their neck. So you've got this board uh, in in front of you, and what's written on that board is. Uh, a disaster of a purchase you made for the company. Could have been 15 years ago. (laughs) And you're remembered for that. Mm -hmm. But also, it could affect the future of the business. It could affect your career. I I think B2B is more of an emotional uh, buy than than B2C. So, Jeff, what is one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of the ideas from your book? You know, we just talked about it. As a marketing leader, as a marketer, sit down with a salesperson, sit on, sit in on a call and hear what is happening and have a conversation with them. Ask them what is working. So many times I talk at organizations, I'm like, how often do you meet with sales and just listen to what they have going on? Great oh, we don't really, we don't really do that. I'm like, oh, okay, let's start there. And it doesn't mean that sales is right or wrong. It just means that you need to understand their perspective. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Great, great advice. Great advice. So, Jeff, what books have inspired your working career, aside from Align to Achieve that you already mentioned? <laughs> which, was, which, of course, was going to be at the top of the list. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are many. I just, I, I literally, if you could see my, my library, you'd be like, there's so many books. I still love Crossing the Chasm, which I believe is by... Um, Jeffrey Moore. Yes, Jeffrey Moore. Still love that. Also was introduced to a new book called Keeping Up with the Quant. Uh, I had Antoine Jennings on the podcast, and we were talking about uh, the fact that sales and marketing leaders have to 
learn how to kind of act like pseudo data scientists or pseudo data analysts. Uh, and this is a really easy, quick read to help you understand how to do that. They don't have to be experts. You can hire people, operations folks for that. But uh, I thought that book was interesting. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. And we can, I don't know if you put them in the show notes. But yeah, I do. I'll, I'll include links to all of these things for people that want to find them quickly. Yeah, keeping, for sure. keeping up with the quants, your guide to understanding and using analytics by you got it. Tom Davenport and Jen O'Kim. Yeah, interesting. Great book. Uh, and then also the transparency sale came out recently by a Chicago guy, Todd Capone. Um, and he talks about it more in, in a in a sales sense, but I also think it can be applied to the marketing side of the house and just really, in, and I'm probably going to butcher his, his philosophy, so uh, I don't want to do that. But um, just having more authentic conversations with buyers and really being transparent and adding value versus trying to to sell in the way that we have done historically. So um, I like all of those. I mean, there's so many that I could that I could share with you, but those are some of the ones that come top of mind. That is a great book. I interviewed uh, Todd about the transparency sale here on the Marketing Book Podcast, and listeners loved it. It, it had yeah. so many implications for sales and marketing. I, we continue to to talk about it. I hope that's not the last. <laughs> that was his first book. I hope it's not the last. That was um, that was excellent. And I'm not just saying it because he's one of your fellow uh, Chicago <laughs> people. I'm not either. I read it. I was like, okay, Todd, I support you. I support <laughs> you. All right, right. And Jeff, you've also got a couple of extras for the listeners. Tell us about those. Yeah, so I actually uh, provide a resource in the book that allows you to do a really quick high-level assessment of the uh, alignment or misalignment between your sales and marketing team. So you have to pick up the book to get it. It happens to be at the end of chapter two, but what it'll allow you to do is just get a gauge of where the performance uh, between sales and marketing is in your team. And then if you want to have a further conversation and really do a deep dive assessment, we do a sales and marketing alignment assessment and audit where we really help you understand uh, where you are, and then we can help uh, leaders prioritize what is really going to move the needle moving forward. Uh, and we do that for our clients. Uh, it's a soup to nuts sort of interview and quantitative analysis. We read out to the executive team uh, and then we give you some recommendations. So uh, well, I'll put in the show links where you can actually uh, book a complimentary meeting with me. If you want to talk about that, if that's something that you're interested in. We can talk about our, our thoughts based on your conversation and how we can engage with you well, and then go from there. That's very generous. And I appreciate you uh, offering that to the listener. And also one other thing about the book if you're the head of sales, you're the head of marketing, maybe both of you, you give a copy of this to the CEO and you say, boss, we know you're going on a trip. This book is, I think it's only like 100 pages, which I think is twice as hard to write <laughs> as a 200-page book, but they'll have this book read and understood by the time they land. So Yes. So so my my editor and I specifically, that was our strategy, was to be able to hand a book to your, and you hit the nail on the head, hand a book to an executive or CEO, and they'd be able to read the majority of it on their flight so that they could actually get off and say, hey, here are some things I wanted to you guys to look into. Let's have a meeting about this. You, you hit the nail on the head. Yep. Do it. <laughs> Do it. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, uh, like I mentioned, we're going to include links to your sites and, and your social media, including your LinkedIn profile, so listeners can uh, connect with you. And, and I hope they'll reach out to you and thank you for or being on the show. Please, please make uh, Jeff's day. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone, you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found right now by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Create Togetherness 
transforms sales and marketing to exceed modern buyers' expectations and increase revenue. The author is Jeff Davis. Jeff, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. It was an absolute pleasure being on the show, and thank you for an amazing conversation. And that closes the book on episode 271 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat, and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And if you'd like to record a question that could be answered on a future episode, please go to marketingbookpodcast.com and record it. And please join us next time as we welcome Ron Tite to talk about his book, Think, Do, Say, How to Seize Attention and Build Trust in a Busy, Busy World. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Jessica Ambrose.